We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts today. We'll be in chapter 2. I need to get right to it, so I'm going to invite you to stand. I think most of you can find your place there pretty quickly. We've worked our way through the first chapter and a number of messages. We'll probably have two or three out of this second chapter as well. We'll begin our reading in verse number 1 of this second chapter, and we'll read to the 13th verse. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, the disciples, with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat or rested upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You've got to remember, when I, all the disciples here are, are not the 12, but more likely the 120 plus. So, so this is a, a number of people that this is occurring to. And there were, the idea simultaneously, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews and devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed. And they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and the Elamites, and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and of Judea, and of Cappadocia, and of Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya, and Cyrene, and the strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, this critical question, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Our Holy Father, I pray the next few moments as we look at this, uh, this miracle, Lord, this incredible watershed moment in the, uh, Lord, the development and the outreach of the church. Lord, I pray that um, while we can find great, uh, Lord, maybe knowledge, information about this, Lord, I find more importantly we'd find application and appropriation in our hearts. And we would not miss what this miracle, what this sending of the Holy Spirit was for and all about. And so, Lord, I ask for your help in delivering this thought in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Obviously, Acts chapter 2 is what many would define as a pivotal moment, a pivotal a scripture in the Word of God. Before this text, in the New Testament, it is recorded all that Jesus Christ did 
during his earthly ministry. And after chapter 2, all we see is what Jesus Christ is doing through the disciples. This is a time when Jesus' own words of prophecy were most imminently fulfilled after his resurrection. The Lord promised after his resurrection and before his ascension the enabling power of the Holy Spirit and that it would come and fall upon them in the very way the text describes, giving them the ability to become his witnesses in all the world. And in this chapter, we see Jesus Christ's words realized in a dramatic fashion. Again, a pivot point in the New Testament. It's also a pivot point because it is a launching point. It is a time where we see the Great Commission in earnest beginning to be fulfilled, where the gospel is being taken now from Jerusalem to outside the city walls and in time through all the world. In chapter 1, there were probably less than a thousand Christians in all the world. And by the conclusion of chapter 2, there are at least three to 4,000 Christians, which would quickly multiply into thousands and tens of thousands in the next ensuing years. In chapter 1, we have the waiting for the Spirit. And in chapter 2, we have the arrival of the Spirit. In chapter 1, we have the equipping and the explanation of the gospel. And in chapter 2, we see the empowerment to deliver the gospel to others. In chapter 1, we see a holding back. And in chapter 2, we see ascending forth. In chapter 1, we see the ascension of the Savior. In chapter 2, we see the descension of the Spirit. As we look at the text so far, uh, what we have come to is a time of watershed moment since the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Fifty days have passed since that resurrection. Forty of those days, the Lord came back and appeared to the disciples again and again, explaining the gospel, making sure they understood the mission. And then for ten days, He told them to wait in Jerusalem in one accord for this great day where the Holy Spirit would be given for an enabling power. The timing of what we see here in our text is important because it holds symbolic and strategic meaning. In Leviticus chapter 23, Moses is giving the law and he is giving instruction on three festivals, three feasts, three pilgrimages that the Jews must accomplish every year in order to, to, at that time, visit the tabernacle and then the temple to give thanksgiving to God. It was an ordinance in Israel that all the Jews would come back during these three events. They were very special times on the Jewish calendar. The first was to observe the Feast of Passover. It's a day that the Jews celebrated their freedom from enslavement and bondage to the Egyptians. It's a day when God visited Egypt with, with the death angel and all the firstborn of Egypt were slain, but the children of Israel were spared the plague if they took the blood of a lamb, sacrificed it, and painted its blood on the doorposts of their homes. This blood was an atonement for the sin that they had. It caused the death angel to pass over them. Of course, in the New Testament, we are taught that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, we are taught that Jesus is that for us. Uh, this festival of the Jews celebrate that moment, but for us, Jesus Christ is that moment for us. He is the atonement for our sins. He is the one that provides forgiveness. God passes over our sins because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. 
We don't celebrate with a holy day. We celebrate that every day, every Sunday by worshiping the Lord. The second festival that they were required to visit in Leviticus chapter 23 occurred 50 days after the Passover. Now, this was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest um, because it was 50 days uh, after the Day of Atonement or the celebration. Of course, Penta meaning five. And the name Pentecost became used in the vernacular. And, and so this was the time that we learn in, in the moment the Holy Spirit was given. This was the time of the very early summer harvest. It was a time the Jews were to express Thanksgiving. It was also a time in Jewish tradition that God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to the children of Israel at Sinai. And so we see here the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost is incredibly symbolic. And because this is a day when Israel was thanking God for his provision, and on the day of Pentecost, the day that we receive provision from the Holy Spirit of God. Lord Jesus Christ has saved us. The, the Holy Spirit has given to us. We have the power to navigate this world, uh, one day to, to acquire heaven, and of course to celebrate God's goodness. But the day was not only symbolic. The day was incredibly strategic. It was a day of opportunity. This is, this is an important truth that we see in the text. The very day the Spirit came to empower the disciples to reach the world, the world literally came to the disciples. <clears throat> this power was to evangelize the world, to reach the lost. And what we have happening here is all the Jews from these nations all over the world coming back home to Jerusalem on this, this celebration of Pentecost uh, to you know, honor the Lord. And in the day that the, the disciples are empowered, the very days that the, these Jews are coming from every place on the planet, and these two things merge simultaneously in an incredible, wonderful uh, opportunity of evangelism. And it is an incendiary, uh, incendiary moment to fast track the gospel that spread all over the world. It's a, it's a time stamp that we see going from this, the gospel would move throughout the earth. Beginning in verse number 9 and through 11, if you read through here, we see a list of countries. And there are, I believe, about 15 included here. And we, and we could talk about the locale of each one, but here's the point. These are from nations that are south of Jerusalem. And these are nations that are east and by that, I, I mean uh, to the reaches of like towards Asia. These are countries that come from the north, Syria. And these are nations that reach, of course, the peninsula into Europe, specifically Rome. The point of the list is that there are people coming from every part of the known world. Places of different cultures, places of different languages from all nations that were known. In verse 10, we are told that they had gathered there, and specifically this is important, that the Jews were coming. And in verse 5, that good, devout men. In verse 15, I believe, they are called proselytes. The point is this, Jews were coming home, but also proselytes. These were pagans or Gentiles who had moved to the Jewish faith, were practicing the Jewish faith, but they had come from different places. So Jews nationally and, and Jews converted were all coming back to this one location at the time when the Holy Spirit descended and these people, disciples, began to speak in their language. This 
would be a lesser example, but it would be like this. If I had the opportunity to go to an Olympic stadium and preach to everyone present there in a language they understood, and they all took that message back home to them, that is what is happening in our text. It is an incredible opportunity. It is obviously a day of incredible miracles. The miracle of this day, of course, is the giving of the Holy Spirit to these simple people. In the text, verse 1, we are told that they were all gathered together in one place. I don't know where the one place was. Of course, in the chapter before, they are gathered together in, in, a, in a great room. And in the Greek, the word room doesn't mean like what we think of, like of a bedroom. It could have been a great portico. It could have been an area where they were gathered. There are some scholars who think that they actually assembled on this day in the temple itself. I don't know. We don't know. It doesn't really matter. It just means this. They were together. They were in one court. They were waiting for this day. And the day in our text has come. When the promised Holy Ghost descended in a tangible and real way, and it descends in, in, in this crazy, miraculous way as a wind is coming. It doesn't say a wind came. It was like as a wind. It's like all of a sudden our speaker says we're filled and the sound of a great mighty wind began to come. This is in, in part what we might call a partial the theophany. Uh, in the Old Testament, a wind was a type or the word pneuma was a type of God in the Old Testament. If you think about maybe Ezekiel chapter 37 in the valley of dry bones, uh, the, the God came in a great wind and brought life to these dry bones. That's what we have here. We have God Himself coming in the form of the Holy Spirit. And then these tongues of fire. I, I can't explain to you what that is exactly like. It is just a manifestation of fire that comes from heaven and it comes to all of us. And then all of a sudden it imparts to each and every, every single one of those disciples who are there. And each one of them, it says it rests upon them, it sits upon them. And the text says at that moment they are filled with the Holy Ghost. It is an incredible miracle that God does. Through wind and fire, this theophany, or presence of God filling these disciples. And then comes the second miracle. It is what this Holy Spirit presence does in their life. And it empowers them to speak in other languages. Now this is important, and I don't have time for all this today, but of course, these are already saved people. These are people who already know Christ. They already know God. This gift of the Holy Spirit is very unique and singular, and it accomplishes this miracle. It allows them, on this occasion, to speak in different tongues. The word tongues here uh, simply means language. It would be like English, Chinese, Spanish, whatever else. They have the ability to speak a language that they themselves did not know nor have any real uh, ability with, but through the utterance and the power of the Holy Spirit, they could speak a language that someone from a different one understood and heard. They spoke in their tongue. And in the text, it has this kind of implication. The people looked at this in amazement First of all, they heard it, but they were looking at who, who was giving, who was speaking this. These were Galileans. And by that, it was implied they were uneducated. They had not traveled. There, there was, how in the world could these men speak all these languages? How could they speak in the Parthian tongue? How could they speak in the, in the tongue of the Medes and Mesopotamians, the Cappadocians, and the Phrygians, and the Egyptians, and the Romans, Greek and Latin, and Arabic language? They did so by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. What a miracle. And there's a third miracle. And I don't know how to rank and order these. Um, 
But the miracle is one also of timing. You know, it would be one thing for me to be gifted for the moment to speak in the language in a group of one or two people. But to be given the gift at a time when God orchestrates, when the whole world would be there to witness it. See, that's a miracle we often miss, is the miracle of opportunity that was there. God was deliberate. He was specific in what He was doing in this moment of time. Holy Spirit comes. They're enabled to speak these languages. And all those languages are present in the gathering of the Jews from all the parts of the world who would then go back to where they lived and take what they heard. But what were they saying in verse number 11? Don't know specifically. It just says this. They were declaring the praises of God. Um, it might be like they were looking into the, the song service of Eastland Baptist Church. I don't know. It, it might be like hearing a testimony of how good God has been. They were hearing the praises of God. This was not yet the gospel per se. These were just people obviously filled with the Spirit of God singing and declaring His praises. And in not one language, and the 15 is just representative, but in dozens of languages. See, this wasn't so much a miracle of hearing, it was a miracle of speaking, that every person could hear this. It was an incredible moment of 120 people, most likely plus, all doing this. And the text you know, says that they were perplexed, they were amazed. All these descriptors are used to describe what people thought about this. Some were negative, and they thought, well, this is just drunkenness um, from these uneducated fishermen, confounded and marveled and amazed, though, were the more apt descriptions. And this all led, and I think this is important, this all led, these three miracles led to the next miracle that's about to happen in verses 14 and below. And that is the miracle of God touching the hearts and souls of 3,000 people Amen. and convicting them of sin and showing them a need for a Savior and then bow, bowing the knees and the heart and accepting Christ as Savior. And on this day, over 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. What a day. The coming of the Spirit, the speaking in languages, the assembling of the people, and then the preaching of the gospel is what occurred on this incredible day. I love the question in verse number 12. What's happening? What's going on? In the words of the word of the text, what meaneth this? And of course, that answer would come in next week's sermon. But you know, I, I'm looking at this text and, um, you know, I just, I'm like a lot of people, I just think this is amazing what the Lord does. And so I'm going to take the question and apply it a little bit differently. We're going to find out what it means for them. It means that God is here and cares about you and the gospel will be preached. But as you and I look at the text, what's this mean for us? You know, theologically speaking, I think everyone in this room would understand that what happens on the day of Pentecost was a prophetic event. Back in the days of Joel, chapter 2, somewhere around verse 28, 
the prophet says that a day is going to come when God's going to visit, you know, the, the sons of men, and they're going to they're going to be filled with the Spirit, and they're going to they're going to utter things that they otherwise could not. It's it, it's prophetic. It's prophetic in the sense that John the Baptist said, "Hey, there's there's one that's coming after me, who is greater than me, and he's going to baptize you with fire." And of course, we see that occurring in this event. It's a theologically prophetic day. We, we know it's unique and it's special. This fulfills the promise of Jesus Christ just some days earlier uh, in, in the end of the Gospel of, of the Great Commission that the Holy Spirit will come. It's a very special, a unique prophetic day with, with singular miraculous events that the Lord used to quick start the Gospel around the globe. But what for us? What I, what I want Eastland Baptist Church to take away this morning is this, is that we need to realize that this moment and the mission that it initiated is supposed to be continuing today. We look back just one chapter in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, God said this is going to come. And we can talk all about the Holy Spirit coming. But why is He coming? And He's coming to make you witnesses. That was the purpose. That's the reason for the gathering. That was the reason for the tongues. It was all about so you and I can be emboldened witnesses. If we look back at what Jesus said, He said, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. This was the, the singular, the unique thing that God wanted them to get from this enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And since that day, Two things have not changed. Jesus' great commission and the enabling power of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. You see, when the Holy Spirit came down, He came in an incredible and a unique way. But more importantly for us, He came to stay. He came to stay. He never left. He's still here. And He's still indwelling everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ today. If you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ, you are the vessel. You, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, of the, of the living God who lives in you, the Apostle Paul says. How can we not understand this? We are the residents of the Almighty God. This same Spirit is still with us. 2 Timothy 1, 2 Corinthians 6, Romans chapter 8, 1 John 2, John 16, 1 John 2. All these describe the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in everyone who believes from the moment they believe. And that Holy Spirit quickens us. It gives us a new life, Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. He teaches and guides us in the way that we should go in John 14 and 16. He convicts us of sin. He gifts us for service, 1 Corinthians 12. He seals our redemption till the day He comes back. He strengthens us and actually prays for us in our weaknesses, Romans 8. He intercedes for us. He sanctifies us. He grows us. He empowers us for service. He places you and me in the family of God. But this incredible gift of the residency of the Holy Ghost in our hearts, it comes with responsibility. It, it, it requires, it asks a grace-filled response. 
and among them, okay, look up here, among them, is that you and I are to be his witnesses. That is, we are to be God's witnesses, his ambassadors, carrying the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and our part of the earth. That hasn't changed. And I, I pause here because, you know, there's, there's not some dynamic principle here to go aha and discover. There's not, a lot, there's not something to underline. The principle is so simple, and I don't want it to be missed on us, because of the myriad of things that we are given in Christ and the Holy Spirit and the many things we are to do and become as Christians, one of the most simple things we are to fulfill is to be a witness. It was what all these miracles are about is that so someone could speak. Well, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence was unique in Acts chapter 2. His indwelling power and presence is not, is still here. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and do His good pleasure. That's the God Holy Spirit that works in our hearts today. Ephesians 3, 2, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that's within us, the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 29, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. That is the Holy Spirit's mighty working power in us, the Apostle Paul. These verses and so many more attest to the availability and the accessibility of the Holy Spirit's power that simply needs to be appropriated in my life. There's a lot of theological discussion we could have here. For me, it's not the, the venue I want to do that from. But I'll say this. If you're saved today, you have all the Holy Spirit that there is to get. Like, there's not another feeling. There's not another ecstatic moment. You have all of God that He can give. But do not misunderstand. God's Spirit living in us and allowing Him to work through us are not necessarily the same thing. And so much of the New Testament is asking you and me to yield to that power that is within us, to give ourselves to it. There's not a second baptism. There is an ongoing filling, and the word filling there means to just work out. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. What, he's not saying there's something else going to come down. He's saying, let the Spirit that's in you fill you. Let it be appropriated in you and through you and worked out of you. There is a difference, again, between being filled with the Spirit and allow yourself to be controlled by the Spirit. This is what Paul was encouraging in Ephesians 5. This is the, the, the heart of his argument in Romans 6 through 8. Paul says, I, there's things I do that I don't want to do. There's things I should do I don't. <clears throat> he had all the Holy Spirit that, he ha that he, a man could have. But he's saying, I, I need to let it work out of me. I need to appropriate the Holy Spirit's power in me. I want to say to you today that you need to appropriate that power to be transformed. You need to appropriate it to grow, to be a good Christian, to be a good person to conform to the image of Christ, to abstain from evil, and to get along with other people. 
But that's not what our text is about. The Spirit was given so you would speak. Now let's just stop for a moment. Many of us have changed quite a deal in our Christian life. Maybe to some not so much. If you were raised in a Christian home, the Lord's changed us. It changes our heart. There's, there may be ways that you and I might want to measure our Christian growth. But here it's just about speaking. It's the use of the tongue to see a miracle performed in the heart of another person. You know, the use of language here is fascinating. This divine enablement to communicate in another language for the benefit of another person, yep, that's miraculous. But what's the point? To communicate. The whole reason the miracle exists was so people could communicate. And can I say to all of us here today, we don't need a miracle to do that. You already have the divine enablement to speak. You just need to make the words come out of your mouth to someone else. See, we just need to be willing. Acts 1 8, you shall be and you shall have receive the power to communicate. To speak to another person. Acts chapter 2 is about the miracle of communication. And it's about what Peter's about to do in a singular, unique way. Yes, praise was given. Uh, God's Spirit was, was seen in those ways. It gave rise to a question what's happening. We simply allowed someone to speak. It sounds so simple, we don't talk about it much. The gospel ministry, in large part, is simply a verbal ministry. You with me on that? The gospel ministry, in so many ways, we make it so complicated. We have all these, and I'm not, I'm not against rules and standards, you know, I use my heart. We make it so complicated. And we don't even start at level one, which for me is just like being nice, but like number two is just speaking. You know, these guys, these were Galileans, hardly polished, imperfect, imperfect in every way. But mission number one, speak. You see, you and I are gifted in different ways, but I'm scanning. Everyone here has a voice. These men weren't particularly articulate in their own power. The, the whole disparaging comment, Galileans? Well, that's us. That fits most of us. If you're waiting for something more, it's probably not going to come until you utilize what you already have. You just need to speak. You want to be a good Christian? You know what, the, what, what, what all this is about? The gospel is a verbal ministry. We just need to involve ourselves in it. Yes, our life could be a message. Yes, people ought to ask us for the reason of the hope that's within us, 1 Peter 3. You know, we, there's, there's things we should do as other outworkings of appreciation of the grace of God poured upon us. But we have to speak. We are supposed to be elementary witnesses. 
We're supposed to have a testimony. Hey, I may not be able to present all the gospel in this most neat, articulate way, but I can say I was a sinner and now I'm saved. There's so much truth in that. Listen, being a sinner is so self-evident, is it not? And be able to get out of that on ourselves is the inability is self-evident. It doesn't take a lot to be a testimony for Christ. Every time in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit rested upon an individual, the next thing they did was speak. In the book of Acts, where God's Holy Spirit came to this group, the first thing they did is they spoke. This is what Paul's life and the disciples' life was all about. What, what's this, what are these pages about from here on out? People going from place to place to place to place to place to do one thing. Speak. This is not rocket science. We make this so difficult. Go to, go to school and speak. Go to work and speak. Go across the street and speak. You can go across the world if you want to. You just need to learn to speak. Take on a verbal ministry. Well, I, I just don't, you know, I'm not all cleaned up yet. And I'm not the person I want to be. Get it. Work on it and speak. They spoke. It's just so simple. It's so often overlooked. But we need to take this ministry up, the verbal ministry of the gospel. Take your Bibles very quickly and turn to Romans. You know, Romans 10, we often call this a great missionary chapter. And you know, the theology in Romans is, is so deep. And Paul, who could write sentences that went on for paragraphs, he says this in verse 9 of chapter 10. That if thou shalt confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the, from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's not overly complicated to say to someone. For the heart man believeth in the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believed on him shall not be ashamed. Okay, so the apostles like, they, they, they have to believe this. And he says, by the way, there's no difference between Jew and Greek. And this is one thing the Holy Spirit does here. He, he you know, obliterates all differences and distinctions that you and I make as humans. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Again, the point, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here's the dilemma. The ministry of speaking is required. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who have they, they have not, next word please, heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Hey, don't get hung up on that and say, that's my job. The word preacher here comes from the root, just means karoo, someone who cries out. Is all he's saying here. Someone who will prophesy. Again, don't think Old Testament. Think this. What Peter's about to do in the next chapter is just someone who speaks. How shall they hear unless someone speaks? Unless someone tells. And how shall they tell, preach, speak, except they be sent? For our purposes, go. Men can't believe without hearing. And I understand today we have tracts and books and literature. And, and, and God can use those things and speaks through them. 
but the best book is you. So many things here to talk about, theologically in Acts 2. But here's what, for me it distills to this. God gave men the Holy Spirit. Those men spoke. All the language part aside, they spoke. And 3,000 people were saved. Start, middle, and end of the story. And they kept on speaking. And people kept getting saved. For us, hey, let's not waste and squander and quench and grieve and fail to appropriate the miracle of God's giving of the Holy Spirit to us by failing to do the one simple thing that that Spirit wants to do through us, and that is to use your voice and speak. And here's what's such an encouragement to me. See, I love this part. The Spirit came down. Let's say they were inside. They go outside. Okay. Wow, there's a crowd here, and they speak. What a miracle. How do you know that God can't do that for us every single day? You know, organized outreach is, is important. We're always going to do it. I invite you to be a part. You should. But what makes you think that God can't? You go outside or you go to work. What do you think that God can't orchestrate a divine moment of opportunity the same way he did in Acts chapter 2? Like, see, it's not just one thing. It's God's involved in all of it. And if you just speak, hey, maybe the next miracle of them hearing, and then, you know, it's kind of God's ballpark from then, and then another miracle happens and they get saved. We make it so hard. We make it so difficult. We make it so organized. How about if, if we're just willing to speak that God might pull things together like he did in the book of Acts chapter 2, and things just happen. Why, why did I choose to preach the book of Acts? Well, one, I've never done it. And number two, it's commissioning is something we need to be better at. We're a great church. We do a lot of great things. In my personal estimation, looking in the mirror and looking at us, we need to do a better job of taking on the verbal ministry of the gospel. Is that fair? Do you? Isn't that fair for all of us? So let's do it. Invite someone. Simple campaign for the coming year. Invite someone. We have the omnipotent power of God is given to me as a gift that resides inside of me. Can I not muster an invitation? See, that's just, that's convicting to me. And how can I not believe that the God who can bring the Jews from all over the world at a time when people were enabled to speak in their language, how can I not believe he can't do that for me? God help us.